Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. But uh, I want you to open your Bibles to begin with today to Mark chapter 11. We're going to continue, really, the message that we were giving last week. And today, I want to uproot or pull out unbelief. That's really what we'll be talking about. But in Mark 11, verse 23, uh, Jesus gives the most detailed teaching and instruction on the subject of faith that you can find anywhere in the Bible. And Jesus said, assuredly or verily, I say unto you that whosoever will say to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart. But believe those things he saith will come to pass. He'll have whatsoever he saith. Now, when Jesus talks about how your faith works, he says, there's something that can't be in your heart and it's doubt. Now, let me just say this. It's possible to doubt in your head and not in your heart. But what happens if we have faith, but we also have doubt, is like the two cancel each other out. Jesus goes to his hometown of Nazareth. This is found both in Mark 6 and in Matthew chapter 13. And it says there that he could do no mighty work. Not that he wouldn't, but it says he couldn't. And it says, because of their unbelief, because their unbelief. So here we have literally God in the flesh. Now he's ministering as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit, doing the will of God, and he cannot do what he wants to do. The Bible says he could there do no mighty work. And the reason? Unbelief. Their unbelief literally shut him out from doing what God wanted to do in that place. Now, in uh, Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He's coming down. Uh, Meanwhile, his disciples are on the bottom of the mount. A man comes with a son who, as you, you read the description, appears to be epileptic. And the man asks for prayer, asks for help. And the disciples are unable to help the boy. So when Jesus comes and says, what's happening? That man is the first to speak up. And he says, I brought my son to your disciples to see what they could do. But they were unable to help him. He said, but if you can do anything, please have mercy on us. And Jesus said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Now, when Jesus is addressing the, the, the issue here, he starts with faithless and perverse. I would say that faithless means this. You are not connected enough to God. And perverse is saying you're too connected to the world. You're connected to the world. How long will I be with you? How long will I bear with you? Bring him to me. Now, different gospel, Mark's gospel, the, the, the man says to Jesus, now, if you can do anything, help us. And Jesus responds and says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. So Jesus is saying, you come and expect me to do everything. He said, but Jesus said, it's not all up to me. 
He said, you have to believe. And so often we just want to sit back and say, God, you know, whatever you want, just have that happen. But it doesn't work that way. You need to believe. And so Jesus says to him, you need to believe. And the man says, I do believe. Help thou my unbelief. Now, here's what sometimes we don't realize, that you can believe and have unbelief at the same time. Unfortunately, what often happens is our unbelief cancels out our belief. So Jesus then rebukes a spirit. The Bible says he rebuked the demon that came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. And the disciples came to him privately and said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed and say to this mountain, move from here to there, it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, a lot of times people think it's this kind of demon, but the subject is not demons. The subject is unbelief. And I believe what Jesus is saying is saying this kind of unbelief does not come out except by prayer and fasting. So what I want to do today is I want to talk to you about uprooting unbelief out of our hearts and out of our lives. So my, my point number one is this. Sometimes we have unbelief because we've simply been taught wrong. We were taught incorrectly. Jesus addresses this in Mark chapter 7 and verse 13. He says, making the word of God of no effect through your traditions, which you have handed down. So he's saying God's word will not work because of our traditions, the things that we believe, the things we've been taught. Now, I can personally talk about that in my own life. Uh, I was brought up uh, in a Christian tradition. And uh, we actually believe that God had planned every minute detail of our lives and that really we didn't have a choice because what God had planned for us to do was what we were going to do. Now, let me just say this. It says this in Romans chapter eight. This is going to help some of you. It says, whom he foreknew, he also predestined. So foreknowledge, let me put it this way. Predestination is based on foreknowledge. You say, what does that mean? That means God did not plan it for you. God looked ahead, saw what you did. It's just that simple. God looks ahead. What you do is not a surprise. How many of you know when you have a problem, it's not a surprise. God doesn't go, oh my goodness. But at the same time, God's not the one who sent it or planned it. But he has looked ahead and he has seen what's going to happen. But this is what, this is what we believe. We believed if we fell down the stairs that God had planned for us to fall down the stairs before the foundation of the world. So we'd fall down the stairs and get up and go, I'm glad that's done with. We thought anything, everything, that, this literally, here's where the rubber meets the road. We thought everything that happened was God's will for us. So if cancer showed up, you say, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you for cancer. If a divorce showed up, you go, oh, praise the Lord. Thank you for the divorce. We thought everything was God's will. Now, 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith. James 4, 
Verse 7 says, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Jesus said, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. In other words, the Bible does not teach a passive Christianity where you just sit back and wait for whatever to happen. It teaches a militant Christianity where you rise up and you say, this is the will of God, and I rebuke the devil, and I stand against every circumstance that is contrary to the kingdom of God and the will of God for my life. So we can have a tradition that keeps us from what God wants us to do and wants us to have. Now, what Jesus did, he, he was in Nazareth, and the Bible says he could there do no mighty work because of their unbelief. Now, this is what Jesus did as a result. It says, and they went out and preached everywhere. Oh, excuse me. I missed that. It says that Jesus went in a circuit around their villages, teaching and preaching. In other words, the way that we get rid of wrong instruction is by receiving correct instruction from the word of God. Now, if we have a blackboard and there's a whole bunch of writing on it, if I want to put something on it, what I have to do first is take off the other stuff, right? And sometimes I'm actually a little bit envious of people who come to God, who come to Jesus, get saved, and have no religious background because they don't have to unlearn all this stuff. I don't know about you. I think it took me 10 years to get on even ground. I had so much stuff I had to unlearn. And to me, it was just like normal stuff. It was just like, well, that's how it is. But then you get in the Bible, and the Bible messes you up. All right. So, you know, people literally, this is what we thought. We thought, well, you never know what God's going to do. You know, if somebody got sick, we, we took their name and put it on a, on a board in the back of the church. Now, we didn't anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. We didn't, we, we'd pray and we'd say, Lord, heal him if you want to, kill him if you don't. I mean, literally, we say, you know, thy will be done. Well, how do, what's his will? His will is his word, right? He said he himself bore our sicknesses, carried our pains, and by his stripes we were healed. That he forgives all our iniquities, he heals all of our diseases. His name is I am the Lord, your physician, your healer. So what's God going to do? He's going to do what he said he's going to do. You see, the Bible says in Mark 16, verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word. What does God confirm? The, the word with signs following. You want to know what God's going to do? I can tell you exactly what God's going to do. He's going to do exactly what he said. He will do what he said. He said, for you have magnified your word above all your name. Psalms 138, you've magnified your word above all your name. In other words, if God does not do what he said, he isn't God. His word, he's magnified it. He said in Psalms 89, my covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone forth out of my lips. He said, what I've said is what I am going to do. So some types of unbelief, the way we overcome that unbelief is by teaching. He went about in their villages in a circuit, the Bible says, because of the unbelief, teaching. So he taught and he taught. The second type of unbelief is through ignorance. The Bible says, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Now, 
it, it, it amazes me how many people have been Christians for a decade and have never read the Bible. They haven't read the whole Bible. They don't even know what, they don't even know what's in the Bible. We're ignorant. So many people, the only Bible we know is what we've heard in church. You know, it's, it's good to be here. It's good to hear the word, but we need to feed ourselves. How many of you realize that if you only ate one meal a week, you would be el flaco. You would be like skinny. But we think spiritually we can get away with one, one meal a week. But the Bible tells us to desire the, the, the milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. That's how we're going to grow spiritually. So we've got to know what the word says, and we grow spiritually as we feed on God's word. The third type of unbelief, I would just call natural unbelief. And this is the unbelief that we have because of what we see. And I would kind of call this experiential theology. Say you line up 10 people that are sick and you pray for them. And afterwards, two of them are healed. I'm healed. Well, then we say God's will is to heal 20% of the time. Because we look at experience and we say, well, that must be the will of God because that's what happened. Now, I'm gonna, I'm, I want to shatter that this morning, so I, I want you to listen very carefully. Right? First, I want to just tell a little story. Uh, we, I have a friend. Many, he's a friend of many of you. He's been coming here for over 30 years. As I think about it, I think Andrew Walmack has been coming here for 34, 35 years. Right? But, but he tells this story. He said he was preaching, and there was a man in a wheelchair, and he just said, he just said I just had faith God was going to heal him. He says, when I finished preaching, he's like, I just about jumped off the platform. I got down to him. I laid hands on him and said, be healed in Jesus' name. Rise up and walk. And he pulled the man up out of the wheelchair and a man collapsed. And he said, oh my goodness. He says, you know, I got down on my knees. I I picked him up and I apologized. He said, and I put him back in a wheelchair. He says, now you can tell me I did not have faith. He says, but I'm telling you, You do not jump off platforms, pull people out of wheelchairs if you don't have any faith. And then he tells the story of Smith Wigglesworth. But for those of you who don't know, Smith Wigglesworth was sometimes referred to as the apostle of faith, uh, tremendous healing ministry, and had revival literally on every inhabited continent, every place that he went. But he had a, a practice in his scripture for doing this. The Bible says the things Jesus began to do and to teach. So before he would teach, he would make this statement. He'd say, the first person to the platform who's sick is going to get healed. Well, he went, I don't remember where, but some people knew that was what he was going to do because that's what he typically did. And so two ladies brought their friend who had an extremely large tumor. And they sat right off to the side. And as soon as he said it, they popped up and brought her up. Now, she couldn't even stand up. So Smith rebuked the tumor, and he said, now, let her go. And they said, but she can't walk. He said, I said, let her go. They let her go. Bam, she fell flat. Everybody's like, oh. Smith says, pick her up. So they picked her up. And he said, now, let her go. And they said, she can't walk. He said, I said, let her go. 
They let her go. Bam! She fell flat again. One man in the co-congregation is like, oh, one man screamed, you brute, you brute. He said, shut up. He said, I know my business. Shut up. Pick her up. They pick her up. He said, let her go. They're like, she can't walk. He said, I said, let her go. They let her go. The tumor fell off and she walked off. Now, Andrew's observation was this. He said, I had faith, but I also had some unbelief. When I saw the man fall, he said, it shook me. He said, when Smith saw the woman fall, didn't move him a bit. He had no unbelief. I want to give you an, an illustration also out of the word of God. This is a well-known passage from Numbers chapter 13. Now, Moses has sent out 12 spies to go through the land, the land of promise. And they come back to give the report. And they said, we went to the land where you sent us and it truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they're stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land through which they had spied, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is the land that devoured its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. And the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, If only we died in the land of Egypt, if only we died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children could become victims? Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Joshua and Caleb, again, they spoke to all the children of Israel, the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he'll bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord, nor feel the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. And uh, God said, as you've spoken in my hearing, so I will do to you. Two million people from 20 years old and above said, we cannot go in and take possession. And God said, you've said it. And that's what's going to happen. Two million went and died in the, in the desert. Was that God's will for them? No, it was not. But they didn't receive what God had for them. He said, but my servant, Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, by the way, it was just a spirit of faith. He has followed me fully and I will bring him into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, said, let us go up because God's with us and we can take possession. Those two out of two million were the only two that went in. Was it God's will for only two to go? No. God wanted all of them to go. In fact, 
We'll talk about it in a moment. The Bible says they limited the Holy One of Israel. God wanted so much more for them, but they didn't receive it because of their unbelief, it says in Hebrews. So we can limit God just like they limited God. God has, has used this to speak to me so many times and say, don't look at what's happening to other people. Look at my word because I'll confirm my word. If you'll believe my word and doubt not, I'll confirm my word. Doesn't matter what happens to somebody else. And as, as a minister, I, so many times I will talk to somebody, we're going to pray. And they say, well, what about Aunt Sally? What about Uncle Tom? The truth is we can have experiential theology and get what everybody else experiences. Or we can believe the word and get our theology from the word and receive what God says we can have. I thought this would go bad, but not quite this bad. Come on. Somebody say something. All right. Fourth type was unbelief. It's very simply, we refuse to believe. We refuse to believe. When Jesus arose from the dead, an angel descends. There's an earthquake. The angel rolls back the stone. The Bible says the guards are there. They see it. They fall down and became like dead men. They get up and they go back and they say to the Pharisees, they say, look, we were there. There was an earthquake. An angel came down. Bright light. He rolls the stone away. The dead guy, he came out. And the Pharisees said, here's money. Go and tell everybody his disciples came while we were asleep and stole his body. They did not want to believe. They saw the evidence, but they still wouldn't believe. You can choose not to believe. I personally believe that in most cases, when it comes to evolution, people choose to believe. Listen, it takes a lot more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in creation. A whole lot more. But if you believe in creation, you believe there's a creator. And if there's a creator, well, then there's a judgment. Then what the creator says is right is right. And what the creator says is wrong is wrong. It's not a matter of, well, you think it's wrong or I think it's wrong. It's wrong if God says it's wrong and it's right if God says it's right. See, and then there's going to be a judgment day. And if you don't want a judgment day, not that it's going to change, but if you don't want to live like there is a judgment day, you just say, well, I don't believe that. I don't want to believe that. I'm going to believe something different. And literally, it goes way back to Genesis chapter 3, where the devil said, hey, you can decide what's right. You can decide what's wrong. You can be your own. You can be like God. Literally, you can be your own God. You can decide what's right for you. You can decide what's wrong for you. Sometimes we refuse to believe because we don't want the consequences of belief. Other times we have accepted something different. I have on more than one or two or three occasions have people say to me, well, I don't care what the Bible says. This is what we believe. You know, when you don't care what the Bible says, you're just in trouble. When you, you, when you want to believe your ideas or your traditions over what the Bible says, you're just in trouble. 
And other times, we simply, through disobedience, refuse to believe. The Bible says this in 1 Peter 2, 8. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, they stumbled being disobedient to the word to which they were appointed. They were appointed to obey the word, but they stumbled through disobedience and it became unbelief. Uh, Number five, Psalms 78. And this one is really one that we we can pull up and uproot so easily. And I just called this one, forgetting produces unbelief. Psalm 78, verse 40. How often they provoked him in the wilderness and grieved him in the desert. Yes, again and again, they tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. How often? Again, Anna. Again, they limited God through their doubt, their unbelief, their disobedience, their lack of faith. They did not remember. Listen, they didn't remember his power. The day when he redeemed them from the enemy, when he worked his signs in Egypt and his wonders in the field of Zoran, turning their rivers into blood and their streams that they couldn't drink. He sent swarms of flies among them, which devoured them and frogs, which destroyed them. He also gave their crops to caterpillars and their labor to focus, labors to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail, their sycamore trees with frost. He also gave up their cattle to hail and their flocks to fiery lightning. He he cast on them the fierceness of his anger, wrath, and indignation, and trouble by sending angels of destruction among them. Now, here's what he said. They're in the wilderness. Now, God has already delivered them out of Egypt. There's 10 plagues. And then God opens up the Red Sea and destroys the enemy. Then God sends them bread from heaven. And during the day, he puts a cloud to guide them. At night, a pillar of fire. And although they have all of these things right in front of them, they still don't believe. They don't look at what he's done and say, wow, our God is awesome. Our God loves us. Our God's protecting us. Our God's on our side. That's not what they do. In spite of all of it, they continue to disbelieve because they don't remember what he has done. In Revelation 19 in verse 10, it says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Don't ever forget that verse. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the testimony of Jesus, what Jesus has done is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, what Jesus has already done, he wants to do again. It's just not a one-time deal that he performed miracles. No, he's still in the miracle working business today. And the Bible says, if you look at what he's done, that is a prophecy about what he wants to do. Psalms 119 verse 11. Your testimonies I have taken as my heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. Now notice the testimonies of what he has done. They are your heritage. They belong to you. 
The same God that did it before for somebody else will do it again for you. What he's done is a prophecy of what he wants to do again. Psalms 119, 11, different translation. I have inherited your testimonies forever. I've inherited your testimonies. See, they belong to you. Every story that you read in the Bible about what he's done is something he wants to do. Every testimony, every story you hear about what something, something God has done for someone you know, well, it, is, it, it belongs to you and it's supposed to ignite faith in your heart. All those stories in the Bible, all the testimonies that we hear, right? They are the, the, the works of your heavenly father. Right? They're the works of your God. And what he did, he wants to do again. In fact, in Hebrew, the root word for testimony literally means do again. Do again. What he has done, he'll do again. You see, there's, there's healing again. There's salvation again. There's deliverance again. There's miracles again. There's provision again. There's favor again. There's safety again. In fact, testimonies are supposed to create faith on the inside of you and me. Randy Clark, who, who God has used tremendously in, in uh, the healing ministry, both in the States and, and uh, here. In fact, he was going to be here right when the corona hit. So uh, we, we uh, had to cancel him and, and uh, he's going to be coming back. But, but he makes this statement. He says, when I go someplace that I've been before, I have people get up and give the testimony of God healing them. He said, because it ignites faith in people's hearts. He said, if I haven't been there before, he said, I'll bring a video of testimonies of what God has done, right? Because literally, uh, it, it, it ignites faith. Joshua put up the memorial stones so that they could tell their children what God had done. In Psalm 78, it says this. It says, for he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them that the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. He said, we need to tell our children because it's going to put hope on the inside of them. It's going to put faith on the inside of them. And our expectation of God is what determines our level of faith, our expectation. Now, what we've got to do is we've got to remember, we've got to not back off. Let me close with this, Psalm 78 in verse 9. The children of Ephraim being armed and carrying bows. This is the time when Deborah and Barak are coming against Israel's enemies, and they send word to the children of Ephraim. They're qualified. They're armed. They're carrying bows. But it says they turn back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. Literally, they became passive and would not take part in a battle that was going on because they didn't remember God's wonderful works. You know, when we don't remember the things that God has done for us, we back off. 
we back off. But when we put ourselves in remembrance of those things that God has done, it creates expectancy. It creates faith on the inside of us. You know, just as I'm reading here, talking about stuff, you know, we need to talk to our children about. I'm thinking, man, I got some stories. I'm going to tell my grandkids. You know, uh, Jeannie will remember this. We were young. We were missionaries. We'd we've probably only been on the mission field for two months. And she was making me a chocolate cake. And so, you know, that is the will of God. <laughs> and we had a, 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 a cylinder, a gas cylinder on the top of our, our, our house. The roofs were flat. And I went up with Jeannie and I picked it up. It was empty. It was supposed to last three, three and a half weeks. And it had been all of that. And uh, we didn't have money. So Jeannie said, let's pray. I said, sure. We laid hands on that tank. We prayed. She went down. She lit that stove. You can ask her. She lit that stove, cooked the cake. We never replaced that thing as long as we lived in the house. That's God. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. You know, when... When uh, offerings don't look good, I look back. I've seen what he did, what he did. And what he's done is a sign of what he wants to do again. It's true in our life. It's true in Israel. And it's true in your life. The things he's done for you, not just the things he's done for you, but the things you find in his word, the things you hear that he's done for others are things that God will do for you. Say, would you please bow your heads for just a moment? You know, we live in a culture today that, that tells us just be a good person and good people go to heaven. I, I want to tell you something. The Bible does not teach that good people go to heaven. The Bible teaches forgiven people go to heaven. It doesn't matter how good you were or how bad you were. It's forgiven people that go to heaven. So Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to God except through me. That means no matter how good I am, I'll never be right with God. No matter how good you are, no matter what you do, you'll never be right with God. So Jesus said, you must be born again. You say, what does that mean? Jesus is saying, you need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. Stop living to please yourself and give him your life. Surrender to him. And when you do, he'll come in. He'll make you new on the inside. You become a part of this family. And if you're here today and you're away from God, you're not right with God, this is for you. Wherever you're at, online, this is for you. So you say, I want to get right with God. I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I'm going to ask you right now to pray this prayer out loud with me. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe... He rose again. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I'm going to live for him every day. I thank you that I'm a part of your family today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. 
Be blessed and enjoy your week.